this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Michael Chan about why React is not a Rails competitor and why we're all still going to be building bespoke backends for years to come. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 136. So, okay, the reason that I wanted to have you on the show a while ago, I don't have the date on this because I only have a screenshot and I'm too lazy to find the real tweet. You <laughs> tweeted, so many developers will never experience the unadulterated bliss of running Rails new. No other framework gives you as much useful structure and tooling out of the box. And I saw this tweet and I thought, I'm glad that I'm seeing someone from like the front end space kind of say this because I feel like there's this like, gap that i haven't been able to cross which is like how are all these people who identify as like react developers like building real stuff and putting it on the internet if they're not still also using tools that let them talk to a freaking database you know what i mean yeah so i think the best place to start maybe would just be to learn a little bit more about like your kind of journey as a developer because it's i've been looking forever to find someone who i felt like knew the, the rails world back in the day and is super tightly integrated into the uh, react ecosystem today um so like how did you get started what sort of stuff do you have experience with what's your story yeah so i started i think one of the first technical books that i bought was um was something to do with rails or like i don't know one of the early rails books and then also an early ruby book yeah um <clears throat> i think it was right around the time that uh, DHH had made that talk and he was like showing you how to build a blog in 15 minutes. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, I don't know anything about programming, but like that capability looks like something that mm. I want to invest into personally. Got it. Um, unfortunately, like rails really does require, uh, some previous programming knowledge. It's not a beginner friendly framework. And I think I've learned like th- since then that it's, um, it gives you a lot of tools if you're a capable developer already, but it, yeah. it's not really like a hey, like uh, this is this is a great first introduction into programming. It's not it's not that at all. Um, if you don't have the 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 pain points and like the problems, then you don't really appreciate the solutions that that Rails is giving you. Um, and so I, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't hack it. And a friend of mine was like, Hey, just like, like, forget all that framework stuff. Just like learn PHP and like throw up a couple pages on the internet. And I did that and I loved it and it was amazing. And it kind of started to give me an appreciation for like where a framework would be valuable Got like it. for these like intermingled concepts as I started to build things that were like, uh, not just, you know, like the first thing I did, I think was like a RSVP site for my wedding and it was just like a single single page, you know, and like if it, if it had data, it would, you know, just kind of show thank you. And if it didn't, it would show the form type of thing. And like, how did you build super- that? Was that like, that was like some PHP files yeah. with a, some HTML, PHP all mixed together, just thrown up on like some shared hosting sort of thing? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just some like cheap, whatever the cheapest hosting I could find was, you know, and it had PHP. I just used whatever mm-hmm. version was yeah. like installed. One file, one PHP file use like string concatenation and everything to like draw the HTML. It was, it was amazing. Honestly, like I still, like I still feel fondly about those little sure, projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I continued to do a little bit of that, build like slightly more complicated things like small projects and whatnot. Um, did a little bit of WordPress stuff. Um, and then I think almost seven years ago, I um, found an opportunity to um, work in Rails, and it was it was it was kind of like a, I, I love closing loops, and so the idea of like being able to like transition into Rails was like a really fun thing. Yeah. I'm like oh well, like I could actually like come back and like do this and learn it. And I think at that point, I'd had I finally had the appreciation to realize like oh, what Rails gives you, like why having a framework, why having an ORM, why having um, kind of these these constrained systems are super valuable um especially in like a larger team right i think that's probably the biggest thing to have these like constructs that are core to the framework like the ideas more than the framework itself even uh, is such a good place to start uh when you have when it's not just you coding up some site in a room but it's like you and you know three five ten a hundred other people Mm -hmm. sharing a code base yeah, so lots of conventions and stuff that just make it easier for people to sort of communicate and have established patterns for solving problems and that's yeah, of thing. yeah. And I, like I, 
it's hard for me now. Like, so I've been, uh, the work that I do now is, is shared between like rails and react. So we have, um, you know, we have like a product that's like 13 years old. I, uh, do front end architecture at a company called planning center. We make church software and, um, we have all of our apps are isolated rails apps. So that's how they, you know, do all of the, you know, database connection, like the, the, the data mapping, all that kind of stuff. We have eight of them. They're all rails on the okay. back end. And then they have some amount of react on top of that, um, for things that are like particularly complicated or interactive, uh, relationships and each app is different. You know, some of them are like, you know, they have like a rails router rail stack, but like every route just shows a react app. Um, but then we have some that are just like, you know, one little complicated form is in, is in react. Just mounted with react. Yeah, totally. Got it. Yeah. And the rest is just ERB rails rendered. Stuff Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, um, it, it's kind of fun to see like a, to see different teams working in this kind of like mixed stack, um, and seeing like people's different people's comfort level with that. Um, but it is kind of like painfully obvious, like how much convention there is in rails that kind of takes you further faster and how little there is in react where you kind of have to kind of make it up as you're going along. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, like so much of the way that I think about the development of pages, you know, indifferent to framework is formed by like rails, right? That idea of you have like show list, yep, yeah, uh, create, yeah. update, new, destroy, like that language is so baked into my head at this point that I think about that, like that's my entry point into like any view. Like, am I doing a show view, a create sure, view? Yeah, or yeah totally. <laughs> yeah, same with me. <laughs> and it seems weird to like not have, like if, if you're just getting into it right now to not have that, right? Like, okay, well, I'm going to make a new, I'm going to make a new page or a new view. Uh, what do I like, call where it? Where do I start? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like back to the PHP days again, right? Where it's like, okay, yes. now I'm just making a file and it can be anything. Yeah. <laughs> So the place that you work now, is that the, is that the same place that you started working at with rails or did you you have a couple different rails jobs? Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I've been there for seven years now and it's, um, uh, it's, it's been interesting. I've really, I've learned a lot because of that split, right? Like, so using rails as a productive framework for actually managing an application, um, but then doing more and more react and kind of like seeing how that transition goes between like kind of something that's maybe old and uh but stable and something that is like new and hot but like the wild wild west mm-hmm. so okay where i think this conversation really gets interesting and where i really wanted to dig in with you is when i saw some of the replies to this tweet that i i mentioned right at the beginning <laughs> of the episode a couple people were replying with like kind of snarky replies about like how oh i just do like create react app now you know yeah and um one of the replies that you sent out was uh yeah create react app is one of many ways to generate a front end app with no connection to data or services <laughs> and i thought man i feel like finally someone is like speaking to me I, like this is the thing that i've been trying to understand because it feels like there's this like it feels like there's a lot of conversations that happen that it's never said explicitly, but implicitly, it sounds like people are often looking at tools like React as like an alternative to a tool like yeah. Rails, which I can't figure out how that even makes any sense because it feels like <laughs> they do completely different things. So I'm curious to get like your perspective on that. Like, why is it that like I'm seeing these conversations where people are, <laughs> where people sort of talk about like React as like, a framework for building websites and I'm going to use react instead of rails now. Yeah. Um, whereas clearly you're still using rails and react kind of integrated day to day. So what's happening there? I think, I think a lot of people just like to fully give into the like hype. I don't know if this is like a personal branding thing or like an identity thing, but like people love to jump headlong into like, Oh no, I am a react developer now. Like I just mm-hmm. create react app done. Like that's my framework. Um, and then like kind of like push to the side or like diminish all of the things that are not in that. So it's like, you know, like, yeah, you use create react app, but like in order to make anything meaningful, like you had to make decisions about how to, uh, how to get data and like, 
if you have an existing application, like you're still using the framework, you know, like you said, like you're still using that thing. I think for us, it's like, I freely admit that like the, the lion's share of what we're doing is still rails. Mm. Um, and we just have like kind of these like kind of, uh, you know, we have these cute views that sit on top of it, right? Sure. But like the majority of the work is happening in a different framework. And I think that people maybe aren't, uh, intellectually honest about the fact that they are, they're dependent. The, their first and major dependency is this huge application that already exists that mm. happens to have an API that's accessible. To so them. a lot of these people that are like a lot of people doing a lot of work or react, you think are mostly talking to existing APIs that kind of existed before they even made the decision to build like a new front end with react or to build like a new app that talks to that existing yeah. stuff with react. Yeah, I think, I think so. And I mean, I can't talk for everybody, but I know that that's, that's true for us, right? Like one of the huge successes of React is that there's, a, it, it's so easy to get started with, right? <laughs> so like if you have a Rails app, like, you know, the first component um, that we built at our company, I, I made just for fun. Uh, we had this thing, it was like, a, you, you, we have a transposer um, for music. And okay. so you can just kind of like click up and down to like kind of go Change through the keys. key or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And like at the time that was like the one of three demos that were on the, uh, the react, uh, <laughs> the reactjs.org website. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, I'll t- like, I, I already have it in jQuery, but like, I'll just try it and react, like see what this is all about. And uh, I just kind of built that one little widget in react, like it included, you know, an unnecessary amount of JavaScript to, <laughs> to do that. But it was, um, it was so it was so easy, right? Because you just include this like UMD on your page, and then like there it is. You're using React um, to some degree, like it's point zero 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 five percent of the application, but we're using React. Yeah, and I think that's like that's the beauty of it is is that you don't have to like go through and rewrite everything to like start using React. Like, and you know, from that point on, I was like a like quote unquote like React developer because of that one stupid component. Sure, sure. <laughs> and I think that's true though, right? I think that is like what makes things like um React and Views the same way, like really interesting and exciting is and I think like um if you even if you look at like Facebook.com, right? Like yeah. It's it's not a single page app. It's not like a React. I mean, I think the new one that I think some people are starting to see now yeah. is like a full blown React app. A graph. I think that one might be yeah. all the hotness, right? But like <laughs> uh, traditionally, even like where React was born is still like a server rendered PHP yes. app with a bunch of data that's there when you go view source and look at like the raw HTML that came back from the yeah. server and that's server rendered, but it's not like server rendered react, like the way that we talk about right, SSR yeah, yeah. or whatever. It's just, <laughs> no, it's just HTML made by a, a backend server. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's cool that you can, they can use these tools this way. Um, but at the same time, like you have things like create react app, which just in its name is telling you like you're making a react app yeah. now, like react <laughs> is sort of like the backbone of the app. And I think like what you were talking about that I think is um, maybe like the interesting missing link for a lot of the conversations that like, I feel like I look at and I don't understand are that when someone says like, Oh yeah, well if I'm going to make a new app, I'm just going to spin up a new app with create react app. Yeah. There's this like built in assumption that no one's saying, which is like, and I'm going to talk to like the existing APIs that already <laughs> exist. Whereas me, when I'm like, okay, I want to spin up a new side project to have an idea for something to hack on. Like create react app is nowhere near close enough to actually solve whatever problem I'm trying to solve. Oh yeah. Absolutely. With this side project. Like there's going to be forms that send data to somewhere where that data has to live now forever. And that isn't local storage. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's <laughs> right, that yeah. has to be shared storage somewhere. Yeah. Um, well, well, that's something I miss a lot about, you know, full stack frameworks like like Rails. And I think that's kind of like the core of the the tweet is that, you know, in in the like heyday of Rails, you went to, uh, you know, railstutorial.org, I, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you learn everything about building an application, like soup to nuts. Like you go through that course and you have built an application. And I'm sure that the same thing exists for, you know, PHP, Laravel, et cetera. Like you going through that, you're able to develop a full application as opposed to like you go through some type of like Next or, uh, you know, uh, create React app tutorial, and you've only built half of an application. Like, yeah, and that like 
I think a lot of people miss that feeling of satisfaction of like, oh, I did something. And it's not just like local storage gets wiped away if you ever like reset your cache, but like something that's going to persist, something that has like users, something that has like that is like useful, like, you know, front to back. And I think that Rails did such a good job of like being the framework that connected the disparate pieces in yeah. a way that, you know, React still to this day is just like a piece of a larger puzzle. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think, uh, I think it's time for us to like start thinking about what that framework looks like that actually does does the whole thing for you kind of in a rails like way. And it's not going to look like rails. It'll look totally different, but yeah. like what, whatever the new things are, um, you know, like the, the huge success of rails in my opinion was that it took HTTP and like showed you how to map that to like a database. Yeah. Like the framework in the middle is just like a, like HTTP to database framework. And I think that we're going to need to find something that does the same thing for, uh, like I don't know, serverless or like whatever the the new thing is that people are doing for their like fully interactive front end apps. Like there's going to need to be something that bridges that gap between React and like X. Yeah. So okay, that's a really interesting conversation to have. I think because I think I think maybe like a key piece to like this whole thing for me is like anytime like I need to build an app, I need to spin up an app. There's always like some piece that kind of has to feel like sort of the backbone that everything else kind of hangs off of. Right. And like, for me, that has to be something like rails usually because I want Uh it to be persistent. I want it to have authentication, whatever. Um, but if you did want to do something where like react felt like it was like the backbone of your application, which (laughs) I think a lot of people talk about building stuff in a way that implies that that's kind of how they see their apps. It's like react is like the core piece of it. Um, You know, you've kind of alluded to the fact that we don't think like a a full stack, like sort of complete solution all bundled together really exists yet for that, but people are still building stuff that they kind of identify as like react applications and still spinning up side projects. So if we were to take away that assumption of like, they're talking to, their company is like existing API and someone was just building like a side project in react. I think it would be cool to talk a little bit about like what some of the things that are out there are that people are using to sort of fill in these gaps. So they're not being forced to write like their own big backends. Like a conversation I have with my buddy, Sam Selikoff a lot is he's like fully convinced that backends are going to be commoditized out of existence eventually. Okay. And no one's ever going to be writing like bespoke backends. You're always going to, you're going to be using something Hasura or something, right? That's like hosted GraphQL over Postgres and like nothing, there's no logic ever in the backend anymore. (laughs) It's just like an interface to your data. Um, and it's universal. Everyone's interface is the same to their Hasura backend sort of thing, whatever. Um, and I love that idea. I think that's, there's something interesting about being able to think like, okay, well, finally we're going to be able to just like kind of centralize all of our kind of problem specific code into like one place, Uh which becomes like the react app or whatever. Um, but you know, like you've kind of said, I, I don't feel like that's a reality yet. Uh, and I wonder what is out there that people are using that is helping them like get closer to that. Like what are the assumptions in like a react developer's mind when they're thinking, okay, I need someone to be able to log in. Like what's my solution to that? I need to save some data somewhere. What's my solution to that? Um, so based on like your kind of, um, experience and sort of tight sort of connection to the react community, Uh what do you sort of see as kind of like the pillars in like the stack for people that are building things that they identify as like pure react apps? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think that it's, there's a lot of them right now. So I think everyone's kind of fighting over that space. Um, I think early on um, Firebase was, was really popular or it, it might still be, but that was the one that was like kind of the easiest thing. Like you could handle auth, you could have, you know, like a NoSQL database um, all with, with one endpoint basically. Yes. Um, And so that was a big one up front. Really cool. I like Firebase a lot. I think it's migrated now to, um, I don't know, Firestore or something. Yeah, Google Firestore, I think, is like the latest kind of flavor of it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it, it, it might be some kind of maybe relational database again, and it has a lot, it has a lot more complexity. Um, so, 
I mean, that's like good and bad. I think it'll be less easy to get started, but yeah. probably more robust in the long term. Um, you, before we like go past the Firebase thing, one thing that's always made me like a little nervous with Firebase is that it feels like it's like the only game in town for like the specific yeah. thing that it does. Anytime I'm trying to figure out like what's an alternative to Firebase, it feels like there's nothing. It feels like Parse was kind of an alternative for a while, but yeah. that's kind of ever since that got kind I think of it shut, shut down. down there's still like an yeah. open source thing but i think like people kind of don't jump on it because of the fact like there's all, all this negative stuff around it now because of the fact <laughs> that the real service was shut down right and i know there's like aws has like some amplify I, yes yes yeah and i don't really know anything about it but it feels like a lot of these tools are actually sort of initially marketed at like mobile developers and have yes. sort of been like embraced by the secondary market of like single page application developers. Does that feel yeah. true to you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that I think that so much of this this kind of like movement to like single page apps is because people were already trying to already needed to solve this problem for mobile. And like mm-hmm. I think we saw this on. I mean, this is why these technologies were even created, right? So the the whole narrative from Facebook is that you know React and GraphQL and all of the uh, Relay all came from this need to to do mobile and they had historically just had like these php pages that like sent all of the rendered html you know down big pipe um and so for the first time you know when their kind of initial html5 mobile strategy failed they needed to have a native app and they didn't have the the endpoints um for that you know so so even now if you have like a really nice like rest api like you're ahead of where facebook was at the time yeah yeah sure and so they just kind of like, uh, you know, they were like, hey, we uh, have this, uh, I mean, this isn't really my story to tell, but there's a great documenta- uh, great documentary, <laughs> why can't I say that word? <laughs> there's a great documentary out right now about the story of GraphQL by um, Honeypot, I think. Oh, cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's really neat. And it talks about the origin story of, um, of these technologies in Facebook and why mobile uh, inspired all of them. And I think that that goes to your point of like, as people have needed to develop mobile strategies, they've had to kind of figure out this part of, or this aspect of um, delivering data, like data only, not just mm-hmm. views. And um, as f- like as people get more and more attracted to the idea of, um, or I-, I guess it forces the issue then of like, hey, if we're already doing this for the platforms like you know iOS and uh, Android and and whatnot. Why don't we treat web the same way? Like kind yeah. of like bring those all into yeah. the fold um, instead of having you know kind of like a fractured mind. You know where like one thing we send everything down and one we just send data. Yeah, one is like really tightly integrated with like the web servers in some way, and <laughs> yeah. the others are just like yeah consumers of this API. I think it. I think it's definitely really interesting to think of like fat client web applications as just like as mobile apps you know what i mean like i think yeah. that that it, it really helps you think about like if i think i've had this conversation on the podcast before but like if you really wanted to build a single page app um and do a really really bang up job of it and really think of it like as a single page app but as, as a purest form imagining it as a mobile app i think is like the yes. right way to think about how you're going to solve every problem it forces you to think about like making things work offline, uh, yeah. being able to like synchronize data, like um, when the network comes back, like all, yeah. all sorts of stuff that I think people actually don't mostly think about or worry about when they're building right. um, React <laughs> apps. But if you yes. really wanted to like take it all away and really act as if it was a, an extra client, that's kind of like how you'd be thinking about it. Have you ever done any mobile application development? Um, Only for fun. Yeah, I haven't done yeah. any I've never production. done any either. I always wondered... Um, like because of this like this conversation we're having where it's like Firebase was created for mobile developers basically and like AWS Amplify created for mobile developers. Yep. I'd love to get like a like some data from the mobile development community to find out like how many people building mobile apps are running your own server, bespoke backend yeah. for custom stuff that you need to do related to your app. Um because I feel like with single page apps the answer is Every single single page app has a custom <laughs> backend. Every single, yeah, yeah. every single real one in the world. Um, but if tools like Firebase and stuff are are being created to sort of avoid the need for that, I wonder 
what the split looks like in mobile like is it like most actually don't even need a custom backend anymore or yeah and, and and what that means then for like the future of single page app development if single page apps really are like analogous to mobile apps you know yeah it's really interesting because because like I, I guess kind of tying it back to rails is like rails i guess in the last two or three years kind of doubled down on the other direction right so like they have a strategy i can't remember what it's called but it, i think it depends on turbo links where like it, it, they still render full views and then they use some kind of like web uh web view framework inside of yeah the for native their wrappers. native apps yeah. yeah 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 it's like mostly web but like the the navigation at the bottom is like native and like push notifications are native but it's like very right. it, it's very much um, all web based and it's all like on GitHub it's like whatever Basecamp slash Basecamp that code base contains the views for the web the views for Android yeah, the yeah. views for iOS um, yeah it's kind of interesting how, th- how they do that I've talked to David about that on this podcast before actually and it's definitely interesting how much they've like doubled down on the yeah on the reverse well and I think it makes sense I mean I, I think one thing that I've uh, I think it might have been on it on your chat with David where he he talks about their strategy for building applications and really um, thinking about their team and like what it would take to like offer something from their team not just like what would be the ideal or like what's the coolest or what's the you know best way to do it but like what's a way that our team can do it and that's how a lot of their sol- solutions are made and i find that to be a really interesting solution for Basecamp, right yeah who, who has built this amazing framework that is good at pushing you know v- full fully constructed views out um and just kind of building a like augmenting that service with a web app instead of kind of going that the full 180 shift which is you know now our servers just push out data and it's all on the client to to render the views yeah yeah, they're interesting ones to watch. I don't know if you noticed that they've been kind of they've been kind of um, sneakily kind of talking about some new approach to web application architecture that DHH was supposed to kind of talk about at RailsConf this year, but RailsConf is canceled now. So <laughs> oh, nice. who knows when that'll happen? Probably they'll put together a big blog post about it or something. But apparently they're doing some interesting stuff with like uh, HTTP two and like persistent connections oh, cool. and stuff to, and I'm sure it's going to be still very lives in the rails world so it'll be interesting to see like kind of what they've done um well i think it'll be interesting because like you know one of my favorite things about rails as i mentioned is like is is that it maps http to like a database and so like kind of upgrading that in i guess for lack of better words to like see what you can do with http2 now Mm. um is is super interesting to me as like a an yeah. thought experiment exactly like what could that even mean <laughs> so <laughs> it's pretty interesting for sure so okay we talked a little bit about like you know this mobile app thing this like firebase stuff um it sounds like tools like firebase i don't know but does amplify include like authentication as like a feature or is it just the data store yeah so i um i had a conversation about this stuff with uh natter dabbit um, on React podcast, and it's still a little opaque to me, just because I don't live in a world where yeah. I'm doing this all the time. I did play with it, and I think Amplify is super cool. But my understanding is that Amplify is kind of a brand around other uh, AWS services. Gotcha. So it's so you can kind of like you know start with it and then opt out, or like I guess like go down to a lower level mm. of these services. But yeah, Amplify does. Um, with my understanding from my understanding include that auth piece so it's kind of everything that you need to get started uh, with a mobile app that uses you know kind of graphql as an interface to database and um, authentication through whatever yeah. they're I yeah they have like some is. aws identity thing or something yeah yeah, yeah 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 so i guess like that gets on to like the next thing which is so if you have something like firebase and amplify that kind of try to do the whole back end for you there's other tools out there like Hasura, which is like a newer kind of hosted GraphQL. Well, sorry, I guess that's like a self-deployable thing. That's a Postgres with GraphQL in front of it that people have been talking a lot about lately. But I will say at the same time, I feel like six months ago, no one was talking about it. So there's no way that this is like the solution (laughs) that like all React developers have been using for the past five years or whatever. Um, There aren't huge production apps using uh, using this yet. Yeah, which doesn't mean it's not cool and and interesting, but... um, 
when you're using something like that, I guess there's there's other things that you need to be able to deal with besides data, right? Just like authentication. So I know like Auth yep. zero is a really popular one. Yep. Um, what else is out there that you've seen people use Man. building React apps? I know there's another one. I think I'm going to butcher the name. I think it's called Okta. I think that mm, that's something okay. that's similar to Auth zero. Uh, it, I could be totally wrong on the name there, but um, yeah, I think it's like Firebase, Auth0, Okta, or you know whatever it is, and um, the whatever AWS's services. We should look that up. <laughs> <laughs> Some obscure name. It's like AWS, like <laughs> X9 or whatever is there. Totally. Um, yeah. Who knows? But yeah. Okay. So interesting. I guess like one question I have for you around this stuff in general is as someone who still works on Rails up day to day incognito or cognito yes cognito, cognito. sorry yeah yeah, yeah. I, I found a good it name. I wanted... that's a good name <laughs> it is yeah it is a good name okay. yeah. um so if you were going to build like a new react side project today would your instinct be to still spin up like rails new to have like your api backing it or would your first thought be to try and make the react app kind of like the only thing and like offload all these other things to other services oh man so I have made I have made uh, I, I teach a little bit of React and like my my initial instinct when I uh, kind of started making lessons was to build a Rails app and I've since realized that was a terrible idea and I put everything on like Egghead or Teachable now mm-hmm. um, and so I I find that I am moving more in the direction uh, that you mentioned Sam Selikoff is, is saying of like I don't care about like what the back end is yeah. anymore and um, I think that, I think that yeah. So I I don't know if I would. I'd probably, if I wanted to use React, I would probably go the route of a Hasura or something like that. That that had an underlying technology that I was like comfortable with, like Postgres, um, but had those like nice interface elements, you know, like GraphQL mm-hmm. and whatnot. But honestly, if I was building like a, a full on service, I'd probably just use Rails. To be yeah. honest, that's that's the thing that I find interesting, right? Like, if imagine like we were able to come up with right now like some sort of make believe side project app. Do you have a <laughs> Do you have any apps that like you've been dying to find time to build? Oh man, uh, no good ones. No, yeah. I have like just like I feel like honestly like this is an area where React has like rotted my brain, right? Because like when I think about teaching someone, like I think about like oh like I should do something that they ca- that can live on like local storage, or whatever, yeah, right? Sure. So that they don't have to learn all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it's yeah, it kind of like limits your creativity in terms of like what would yeah. be like a good thing. One thing that like I have toyed around with the idea of building that I literally will never build, but because I'm a customer of another tool and of course like some anything that you use every single day is going to have things that you don't like about it just enough that like oh i should build my own version of this right like we all <laughs> yeah, say yeah, for everything yeah, yeah. but i've always like toyed around with the idea of building like a like a mailchimp alternative basically oh, okay right? yeah and if i was going to try and build that and i wanted to build it as a react app i guess this is where like the whole thing becomes like so hard for me to reconcile is like that feels impossible without doing like laravel new or rails new at some point oh, yeah you know what i mean so yeah. like what is the react developer mindset to building that app you know like and maybe just every react developer does just do rails new and it's just like this like unspoken uh part of the code <laughs> but <laughs> um but that's like the, th- that's the thing that i've always just been trying to like understand like where where are we talking past each other here you know yeah i think that i think that this might be the result of I guess the fracturing of roles, I think that that over the last, I mean, probably 10 years, the narrative around like being a full stack de- developer has like changed. Mm-hmm. And like there's so many uh, intricate pieces. There's so many like specialists now um, that I think that a lot of times people don't have, aren't required to think about a product in terms of like full stack. So, yeah. um, and I think maybe that's maybe the disconnect, right? Because, uh, you got into the industry at a time where like full stack was the thing. Like if you wanted to be a developer, you needed to be able to make produce an application like from the front end to the back end. Like it needed to sure. work. And I think now that's not really the case. Like people get into the industry and they're like, I want to be a front end developer or I yeah. want to be a DevOps person. And I think maybe that's the disconnect is that 
over the last 10 years, it has become so fractured and there's so much work to do that you can just think about your piece of the pie and think that that's the whole world and forget <laughs> that everything else exists, um, which is a shame. I think I think maybe that's why I, I feel attached to Rails or you know even Laravel like frameworks that are full stack um, because that's still how I think about the web. I think about this you know making a product as opposed to just making a front end or making a back end or yeah, like whatever. There's a request that comes in and I'm going to do something with that request. Whereas like yeah. if you're just building a React only app like request response like that's not even your job anymore like <laughs> you're the one like sending the requests not the yeah, one yeah. handling them right <laughs> so yeah it's kind of interesting for sure yeah you're just converting button clicks into requests yeah yeah do you think um what on this like whole topic of like you know the original tweet kind of like alluding to like it's almost like a shame that people don't like get to experience this like activity of uh building something on the back end where they're saving stuff to the, the database and really feeling like empowered to kind of like create this whole yeah. thing that they can deploy out there um what i what parts of that do you think are the most interesting i guess like where do you th- where do you think people are missing out in terms of um some of those experiences and some of some of those like exciting moments yeah that's tough <laughs> I think it I think it is really the challenge of thinking about something in product. And this is this is something that's been re- really frustrating to me as I've tried to figure out how to work with a lot of um people who are new to the 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 programming space. I think that one of the the deficiencies that people have that have learned just a specialty is that they don't think about things all the way through the the full stack. And I think that's that's also just a virtue of being young, right? Like mm-hmm. when I, you know, first started in PHP, I had my one PHP page and like thought that I was doing like a really great job, but like that all of those concepts break down in an application. Um and I think that we're just not forced in the same way. And I I don't mean this at, like I don't want to sound like a gatekeeper because I think that everyone can can do their piece and if they're open to coordination and trusting the other people then like that's fine that's great but i see a lot of like distrust in in that communication which is frustrating to me because you should be able to trust like your ops person says like oh well it'd be better if you do this do it this way and they're like well why don't you just use graphql and then i wouldn't have to use all these like rest endpoints and like optimize it right and there's this like war that happens mm-hmm. that i don't think was really there when we did full stack development because it was like, oh, I like I have to understand all of this. And like the problem could exist at any stage. And like that's not the that's not the fault of the view or the database or the whatever. It's something that I need to figure out for my product, like across the whole stack. And now that people are inserted at those boundaries again, it's like it's really tricky. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um it is interesting, I guess, like to think what that makes me think of is like just this the difference between like how technology has to be handled in bigger companies where there's lots of people versus, you know, doing stuff by yourself. And I guess what it makes me kind of feel sad about is like, if you are a new to tech and you just learned react and, um, you're kind of like following all the react buzz out there going to the yep. react conferences and like learning about all this cool stuff and learning about the ways that companies like facebook and stuff are building stuff i feel like um you might find yourself pretty paralyzed the second that you want to just build an app by yourself <laughs> just yeah. a little small side project totally um because of all these these assumptions that exist about like well yeah i'm building a react app well how's it going to save data well i talked to the api the api you know there's the <laughs> api it's already there um but if you have to do that stuff yourself, I I wonder like, I wonder what it's like to be in the shoes of someone who just like, whose only exposure to the idea of like Rails is like, oh, that's just like old thing people used to use, not yeah. like that's like a really productive way, still today for a, a small team or a single person to spin something up that handles any like code that needs to run in a privileged environment or needs to send an email or needs to queue a background job or needs to save something to a database or needs to authenticate a user you know what i mean (laughs) i wonder um i wonder if people are like 
missing out on what am I trying to say? I guess I, I guess I have this gut belief that there's a lot of people out there like hacking on side projects who are very front end focused, whose lives are harder than they need to be because yeah. like they're sort of ignoring tools like rails for handling some of like their back end yeah. stuff in just like a monolithic, everything built into one thing, not trying to like worry about how am I doing these serverless deployments and talking <laughs> yeah, to yeah. auth zero and paying for all these things and hoping I stay under the limits of whatever the free developer <laughs> tier is for all these tools yeah, I have yeah. to use. You know what I mean? I don't know. I think, I, I, I think you're right. And I think that there is a lot of pining for that to be solved. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why frameworks, you know, like Rails and Laravel, like still have people like coming in to them is because I think those are people who are graduating from like, oh, I just think about a piece of the pie to like, I think about a product. And, and I, I am hopeful that that will be solved for the kind of like, as you described it, like the mobile first type of, of application development. And I know that a lot of people are working towards that, but there isn't anything that has that, like, you know, it isn't anything that's like nuclear, like, uh, you know, rails or uh, Laravel. And it really is kind of like, you know, pick and choose all of your own things. And I think the closest thing we had was Firebase. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Something I've been following a lot that I, I pay a lot of attention to and I'm actually pretty excited about, but still I'm not sure exactly what the vision for it is or where it's going to go is just how they've slowly started to introduce like more backendish stuff into Next.js. Yes. Um, yeah. So they have like the API routes, which was like a big feature of Next 9, I think, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. where now you can like write functions in a folder that are automatically going to be deployed as serverless functions. And you could do yeah. this like with Zite stuff before, right? Like you could make like yep. one of the repos and have like a folder of serverless functions and like your next project in another folder and kind of deploy yeah. it all together with now. Yep. But now like API routes are like a first class thing, but like they can't, they don't really come with any opinions or conventions or friendly tooling. You know what I mean? It's like, right. You can deploy these serverless functions, but like, it's module.exports equals empty function. Do what you will <laughs> yeah. in there. You want to get data from somewhere? Yeah. Like we're washing our hands of that. And and I'm curious to, I, I guess what I'm really curious about is to see like, are, are they going to start like introducing more opinionated stuff into that sure, space? Sure. Like, is this just them kind of like, okay, we're trying to get like the, the bare bones, like <laughs> right. unopinionated version in people's hands to start playing with. And we want to flush it out more. Or um, or is it not going to go in that direction? Because I really like the idea of, I guess like a, th- a thought that I've had a lot lately is we talk about like front end code and back end code and this idea that maybe one day we'll only have to write front end code. But I kind of think like, it sounds nice. I think chasing <laughs> it is maybe impractical, but maybe the right. better way to think about it is just like, we always have to write code. And some code runs on the client <laughs> and there's a couple things that you have to do at a bare minimum that can only be run in like a privileged environment. Like if you want to build a React app that issues a refund to someone who bought something on Stripe, that cannot be done without writing a line of backend code. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so a tool like Next with the API routes is kind of interesting because it it's it's giving you the ability to write this like privileged code without mm-hmm. kind of forcing you into this like two code base sort of like there's this big boundary between the front yes. end and the API. It's it's it feels like it's approaching full stack, but like through the front yeah. end instead of from the database. Um so I'm really curious to see like where they go with that. What do you think about that? Like Oh yeah, I'm 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 on the same uh, same page as you. I think that they're doing some really interesting work of tackling the problem of like how do you do how do you do both right like how yeah. do you statically serve a page um and also serve data for you know con- you know consuming clients mm-hmm. and i think that this is like it's really interesting and i i do think that next is really at the forefront of of that i totally agree with you there and um they're really kind of slowly and steadily figuring out what those boundaries look like like which I- apis need to be kind of like universal, like one thing. And then, you know, the framework figures it out for both versus like what needs to be like, you actually make a decision like on talking to, you know, the server directly or like getting that data through an API. Um, and I think that they're doing some really interesting work there. I'm I'm a little bit sad that that work has 
moved into kind of really depending on now. Yeah, it's like very proprietary, like yes. whole deployment build process. Like you can't really easily take a next project with API routes and deploy that anywhere else. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's just the, I mean, state of the web right now, right? It's like every, every company that offers serverless functions, like they're all different. And so y- that's, you can't it's just, really. Yeah. You have to, that's part of the deal. If you want to, yeah. if you want to write code that runs in like this completely managed environment where all the updates are handled for you, blah, 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 yeah. blah. Like that comes along with some sort of lock-in of some kind, probably. Yeah, and and I think this is a place where Rails really was successful, and I would love to see it. Maybe, I mean, I I, I feel kind of rude like saying it on a podcast and not like in a pull request or something, but like like something that I would love to see is building that as like the default adapter, right? So it's like so next dependency on now like it's the only one that they build but it's actually built through like an interface like in the way that you know rails does like active record and you know active job and all those kind of things Mm -hmm. it there's a, a minimum viable interface that like works across all of the you know you know mysql prosgres monoid or whatever and they you can program to that or you can double down on like the the on SQL and just make a direct SQL query. But it's like kind of up to you at that point, like how like your uh I guess like ri- your availability to risk, I guess, in terms of like switching out those services is is really up to you. And I would love to see something like that. So like maybe they only build the now adapter, but it doesn't mean that you couldn't come along and build like an Azure adapter or an AWS, you know. Lambda function yeah. adapter, etc. Yeah, yeah. Because right now it feels like the in a lot of ways the same risk as using Firebase does. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where I I love the idea of being able to use hosted Firebase, but only if I know that I could also use self-hosted Firebase if I really have to. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Because yeah. Like, wh- how much of a pain is it to like migrate off of that? That's an insane amount of work. It has to be <laughs> yeah. right. Like, yeah, it's interesting with the um. One thing that I, I ran into when I was trying to play around with like API routes and stuff in Next, um, and this isn't like a Next problem or, or anything like or React related problem. It's just when you're doing like all this serverless stuff, and I don't know if, how much expertise you have in this area. It feels like the only database options that you have are things like um, DynamoDB or yep. other sort of NoSQL stuff that's kind of been designed to be able to be distributed and also be able Mm -hmm. to um handle insane numbers of connections which is just kind of an inherent thing you have to worry about with serverless because you can't easily control the number of open database connections because new kind of instances can just be kind of spinning (laughs) up everywhere right whereas with like a rails app it's like we have four workers so it'll you know, that's, that's the number of um, web servers yeah. that we have. We can control everything because tools like MySQL and Postgres have these kind of like fairly low connection limits when you just look at the numbers yep. and things that you have to worry about. Um, I guess what I'm trying to ask with this is being like a Rails guy, like you're obviously deep in the relational database world all the time because like there's like eight people on earth that use rails connected to a mongo database you know right yeah yeah yeah. um (laughs) so what is your general take on like the state of data stores like do you do you feel like relational databases have like had their time and like are excited and looking forward to more mongo-y dynamo db-ish stuff or do you feel like um they're kind of (laughs) underappreciated Man, I'm going to be totally honest and say that I'm not qualified to answer that. Okay. <laughs> like I think I think I have a preference for relational databases just because, you know, that's what I was brought up in and, and so like Yeah. Postgres feels like awesome. Like Postgres is great. Like or, you know, I guess whatever uh, you know, AWS's wrapper around MySQL is yeah, is, yeah, is that Dynamo yeah. or No, Dynamo is more Redis-ish. It's, oh, okay, um, gotcha. 
Yeah, I don't know. I I think like I feel the same as you that like I'm comfortable with like my sequel, yeah. but I always have this like kind of like anxiety in the back of my head that's like am I like getting left behind? Am I like missing yeah. something that's just clearly better, but because I'm so comfortable where I am, I'm like not investigating it enough. But every time I do, it feels like I've I see all these things that seem like obvious flaws for the type of work <laughs> right. that I do. Like yeah. one of the things that everyone talks about with no sequel stuff is like you really need to know all the ways that you're ever going to need to read the data before you decide sure. how you're going to store the data. Whereas mm-hmm. the total opposite is the case with like my SQL or any SQL relational database, right? Yeah. It's like store the data in the most normalized way possible. And then you can join and do whatever yep. sub queries, like get the data however you want. Um, so I don't know. That's something that I've been curious about too. So it's, yeah. It, I do you don't feel know. like I, some I of those same either. feelings or do you just feel like I, I'm just going to keep rolling with Postgres and Postgres is good? <laughs> I do feel like I, I think that it's something that I've kind of pushed out of my mind because I'm not uh, I'm not building a product. Um, and I think that I it's it's a luxury that I have to not think about that. And I think mm-hmm. that that's why I would probably, like I said earlier, just like depend on on rails to build it yeah. if I was building a product. Um, but it does like it does seem like. So, so one interesting product in the space that we haven't really uh, talked about yet is this product called OneGraph. Have you heard of this? I've heard the name, but I do not. I think maybe I heard it when I was talking to you earlier this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's really interesting because it, it their, their goal, or at least as I understand it, is to wrap all of the, the APIs that you would need as a developer mm. into one GraphQL endpoint. So, so this, this, goes back to so your this point. gives you like a GraphQL endpoint that you can use to talk to Stripe or to talk yes. to GitHub. And like that's just like built in and supported by like their thing. It's like these are yeah. these are the services we expose and this list of services is kind of growing all the time sort of thing. Absolutely. It's like a so Zapier for use... like API yeah. consumers. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think that this is kind of like an interesting place because like you said earlier, like how do you issue a refund? Right. And I think that this is kind of an answer to that. Like if you are building a product like this, it's it's funny. That's literally the first example on their website, by the way, (laughs) is literally issuing a refund in uh, Stripe. (laughs) So so this is the answer we're looking for is what is one graph. Apparently, I guess I wonder with that stuff, though, like, don't you still need to have some sort of way to to communicate with them without leaking important credentials to the client you know what i mean yeah 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 that's always something that's concerning me and again kind of like um because i have been in a privileged position to not mm-hmm. have to think about authentication and uh, security um yeah i, I don't I, i'm woefully For unfamiliar sure. with <laughs> I, was, I was watching an interesting conversation the other day where people it was like i think kenzie dodds and guillermo roush and some other people were talking about um making your login form not a react form and they weren't recommending it but this is what like the conversation was about and oh yeah it came up in the conversation like even guillermo was like saying like um cookies are like the http only cookies are how you should do authentication um even in like an spa which i always thought was kind of interesting because <laughs> i always felt like cookies kind of felt like they didn't really fit with like that right. JavaScript model, right? That feels like a Rails thing, like cookies and sessions, <laughs> and like yes, you know. But when you're building a React app or whatever, that feels like JWT local storage, yeah, like right. <laughs> feels like very different, you know. So I thought that was kind of kind of interesting to see. And I guess in a world like that, you could have like an endpoint, like an API right with Next that like proxies right. to something like OneGraph, but like reads the cookie and stuff. So now I'm sure the solutions are probably something kind of like that, but. Again, can't can't do that without having something of your something. own that runs on the server. Even right. even and if it's like npm install one graph and there's a config file that you put in your yeah. keys and that's it, but still something. Like, I don't I don't want to be responsible for that, right? Like that's something that I love about Rails is like Rails handles all of the all the security stuff and the uh like cookies and I man, I can't remember for the life of me what that uh the uh, uh, CSRF, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it does all of that for me, right? I don't have to think about it, and like that's where I want to be. Like if I'm making a product, like if I've brought my intention to like building something that is useful to more than just me, like I want those people to have some kind of baked in, built in, well thought out, battle tested security that like isn't me just being like, oh, I need to add security 
Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting, interesting stuff to think about, man. Well, I think, um, maybe now's a good time to start like wrapping up the conversation. I think sure. maybe a good place to end it. Um, you asked me a question when I, when you had me on your podcast earlier this week that I thought was a really, <laughs> a really great question because, okay, before we even get into it, I think like a mistake that I've made on podcasts before and other people make is they kind of give guests this like closing question that like, requires them to have like some really brilliant sort of like tie it all together insight to kind of finish things off, which is a lot of pressure to put on someone. But what you asked me, which I thought was a really great way to end the conversation is just, um, basically like what, what are you excited about in the world of tech right now? Like, what do you think is like going places? What are the things that you're keeping your eyes on and why? Uh, well, I'm, I'm super happy to answer this question actually, because, uh, you know, I asked it because I was like, what's a question that I would want to be asked. So uh, (laughs) thanks for, (laughs) thanks for reciprocating. Um, I think something I'm really excited about most of my work happens in, um, design discussions and, um, particularly right now, because we have eight applications with varied, um, degrees of react and rails code. I've been thinking a lot about, Um, design systems and where they're going and how to unify um, unify code in a way that is like migratory (laughs) I guess where you can like do it piece by piece instead of saying like we've built this new design system in react and everyone will move all of their application code to meet it and I'm really excited for what's happening or what has happened in um, just CSS and uh, specifically CSS custom properties and CSS grid that allows us to kind of insert this new le- like styling layer that we haven't had before um, with CSS custom properties and, and grids um, that that kind of takes away some of the big problems of CSS, which is like naming things. You know, so a CSS variable naming that is like actually like kind of tokenized in a way that a class name isn't. Okay, and that's that's or i'm probably using the wrong terminology there but like as a thing like you're using the css variable and so now you can use that kind of like in your you know uh, client side framework code or your you know kind of just you know uh, you know a uh, uh, server side rendered code um but that thing is like greppable right you know it's like an actual kind of like you know token in your application for for styling and that is a is like a, like a totally new thing, you know, and so like it doesn't necessarily depend, you know. So naming classes isn't like kind of the same problem that we've had before, um, and then CSS grids being able to encapsulate like a, an entire view into a single class, as opposed to having you know ten classes and modifier classes and all of these kind of things, mm-hmm. just being like, hey, here's the grid that the header sits in, and place your content inside of that grid, and you're good. I think. There's so many cool solutions and opportunities for styling that are just baked into modern browsers now. And I think that, you know, over the next five years, people will start rediscovering that and start uh, hopefully like pulling, thinking more of their like React component library as a consumer of those like base level styling systems instead of like the the end all be all CSS and React Mm. that we have right now. Is there anything in particular with like CSS custom properties that you think is a really like exciting idea. And the, re- the reason I ask this is because I think a lot of people have, they underestimate some of the cool stuff that you can do with CSS custom yeah. properties. And like one light bulb moment for me was realizing that CSS custom properties allow you to sort of like do composition within like a single property. So like, yeah, um, you can have like a color, right. That's like an RGBA than like 255 72 51 but then for the alpha channel you could use a custom property in there um yeah. and it does the custom property doesn't have to replace like the whole property declaration it only has to replace parts of it so something like i see stripe doing this on their dashboard i don't know if they do it with custom properties but you could do it with custom properties they have a lot of times where they have like seven box shadows on an element yes like five of them do nothing when you look yeah. at it and you're like, what the yeah. fuck am I looking at? <laughs> Why is there five shadows that do nothing? Yeah. But then you'll notice as different things happen to the page that some of them turn on and it's almost yeah. like they have five shadow slots in like the yes. box shadow and different shadows belong in certain ones. And by using custom properties, you could basically have this box shadow that's applied permanently that's built up of five different shadow mm-hmm. slots. And then by just changing the value of that custom property for that 
part of the HTML tree, um, it'll kind of like affect that box shadow. Yeah. And we do that with Tailwind for like transforms. So like it sucks in CSS that there's just like transform. Then you have to put a list of all the transforms right. you want to <laughs> yeah, apply. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't like do like rotate as its own property, scale as its yep. own property. So we use CSS custom properties to have like, here's the rotate slot, the, the scale slot, yes. the translate slot, the skew slot. And then by just changing the custom properties, you can change one without changing the other or without like rewriting the entire rule and coming up with yeah. every permutation. So I'm curious, like what are some of the things that you're excited about that I could learn from? Cause you sound like really jazzed about the custom property stuff. <laughs> oh, so man, I want to make so sure I'm not missing any it. cool stuff. <laughs> so there's, there's three things that I really love. I think the first one is, is what you just described where I think the maybe simplest uh, case for this is, you can set a like like so like a box shadow color right if you want to do like a smooth box shadow which are like super popular right now where you have like you know 7 to 20 stacked box shadows yeah. um you can set you can set just the color and then like repeat that color with all of the like sizing things so like what you were talking about and so now people can just set that one that color property but then still have the smooth box shadow which was a huge pain in the ass before like you'd have to replace the whole whole rule. box shadow like, yeah exactly yeah. yep so like that, I think that which you've mentioned in Tailwind is is amazing. Um, I think there's two other things. One of them, uh, CSS Tricks um, just posted an article recently about uh, it was I think it was it had a clever title. It was like currying in CSS, <laughs> and it was talking about like the notion that uh, custom properties don't have to be by themselves valid CSS. They can so like, like depend on other custom properties. Yeah, so they're like lazily evaluated. And it's not until you call var on them that they actually get get called. So you can use that as like a really interesting uh, like trick to kind of calculate something dynamically, uh, which is super fun. I recommend that post because it'll do a lot more justice than I'm trying to find it now, and I cannot <laughs> find it. CSS tricks. You, you sure they use the word currying? Uh, maybe they changed it because someone uh, who was like a oh, functional currying programmer was CSS, like CSS March seventh. Yeah, so this would be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I think the final thing, and, and this might be kind of in the same vein as like currying, is I think like you and I both are like really interested in this this way of um, like utility class styling, mm -hmm. right? And the, the way that you would put like it, it's kind of like a a better approach to just like inline styling because like, yeah. like now you have these like classes that are like you know uh, like greppable and you know changeable and and, and whatnot. Um, the thing that I love about the way CSS custom properties work is, is that you have these, these um, uh, you know, custom properties. And so you, let's say you have a class called like avatar and, you know, then you have some modifier classes that change the size of that avatar. Well, anywhere that you have the avatar class, you can now put like an inline style and take that, use that like, you know, dash dash, you know, avatar size or whatever, and then do a calc on that. To like, let's say you wanted to add a border. So like now you like multiply that times like 0 0.05 pixels or something like that. Yep. And now you have a border that's like relative to the size of the avatar without you having to specify that as an option on every single modifier class. I think stuff like that is just, is just neat. <laughs> yeah, I agree. No, it's, it's like, it gives you the power, like. There's all sorts of like tricks we used to do in CSS with like M units, for example, because they had this like yeah. baked in like relativeness, right? So like, what if I set the font size on this element to 20 pixels um, and then set the height to one M, even though I don't have any text in this element, just because like I want to be <laughs> yeah. able to like then make the height of a child element 0.5 M so that it's half the height. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like, or I, I always think of like current color, like that CSS yeah, value as right. like the OG, like custom property. Cause there's so totally, many cool absolutely. things that you can do with that. Um, so it's pretty interesting to like expand that to something that's way more, way more powerful. Like I'm, I'm only like trying to scratch the surface of like what cool things we can do with that even in Tailwind. Like one thing people have been asking for forever is being able to have like, uh, versions of each color but at different opacities and we've just like yeah avoided it because it's like it's going to bloat the css by like it's going to make it totally. literally 100 times bigger and it's already like a two megabyte css file if you don't like yeah remove the unused styles 
Um, I mean, especially like multiply times all of the available mil- media queries, it's right? Insane. Like that's the thing that it sucks all about utility queries. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. It's just like it's combinatoric explosion out of control. Yeah. <laughs> right. But with a CSS custom properties, we could just define all the colors as having like the alpha channel using a variable and have yeah. each utility like redefine the alpha channel to be one just by yeah. default and then make sure those rules are defined in the CSS before rules like text opacity 25 text opacity yep, yep. 50 and that just overrides the custom property so there's yeah. something really interesting about like utility classes that only change a custom property and don't actually like yes. do any css yeah like, so i don't know i don't even know how far we can go with that but it's super interesting so yeah i think that that's like i think that is going to be like the core like layer on which a lot of styles are going to be written now and i think that it, that that libraries like um tailwind are going to benefit a huge amount from this in terms of like the the css that you have to ship now obviously that's cacheable and so it's really just kind of like a one-time deal but still i think that it's going to redefine some of the um interfaces for you know how people actually customize their like tailwind mm-hmm. and then also like you know with a uh, like tailwind ui like you're you're building these um kind of like chunks of ui and i think that that's an area that's going to start moving more and more into like grid right like you're going to have a grid for a you know a plain what is it like a, a flight selection grid right and sure. that has everything and then that's going to actually define the custom properties for what the book flight button looks like as opposed to like having a like cta dash dash book flight button you know so now you're now all that information lives in your grid and you have a totally custom button for that grid you know and like you don't have to feel bad about having to like you know make a new class for it or like extend you know use 10 other existing classes to like make it so i think the pairing of those two is just going to redefine the way that we we build out design systems grid is interesting that i think like what you're kind of alluding to that makes grid an interesting thing in CSS is it's like one of the first times that we've started to appreciate the ability to define styles on like a parent instead of on like the child. Yes. Right. Um, and like the thing that I want so badly, like if I had to choose like only one CSS feature to like be widely supported everywhere, every other human being on earth is going to say container queries. And I'm going to say <laughs> right. gap support in Flexbox. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for that, exactly that reason, like I'm so sick of doing like padding left four on every element in the list except the first one. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh my gosh. So, I don't know. It's yeah. exciting stuff. Cool, man. Well, yeah. I think probably it's a good time to wrap up. Thanks so much totally. for uh, taking the time to chat with me about this stuff. It was an absolute pleasure. And uh, where it's the best way for people to sort of keep up with like you, your work on the React podcast, and any of the new stuff you're excited about and sharing online. Yeah, yeah. So I'm Chantastic most places. Um, and uh, the places that I can't get it, I just don't use. So uh, <laughs> Love it. Yeah, so Twitter is probably where I'm most active. Um, I have a a YouTube channel where I just kind of like do do a little bit of streaming. I, I post some stuff about React uh, there. Um, and then yeah, React Podcast um, at React Podcast or uh, reactpodcast.com is uh, where I talk about React stuff and just interview people that I'm I'm hoping to learn more from. Uh, and yeah, that's that's about it. That's me. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Michael Chan. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, they will be at fullstackradio.com slash 136. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast and we'll see you next time.